0: We're crossed over 400 million under management. We've invested in 25 other venture funds. We've invested in 40 companies. We had six IPOs this year. We're investors in companies like Impossible Food, Bite Dance, which is TikTok, UiPath, Hims and Hers, and a bunch of other Guild Education, a bunch of other amazing companies.
1: The Pathfinders Podcast is presented to you by Ansarada. Ansarada is the modern deal and virtual data room technology designed to make M&A, capital raising, divestments, restructures, and IPOs as simple as possible. Ansarada has just launched freemium with the world's first online data room quote. Now you can get a free data room and quote in just three clicks, just 15 seconds. There's no need to wait. Get your room open straight away, no matter what stage you're at. Deal marketing, deal preparation, or due diligence. And here's the best bit. Usage fees only start when the deal goes live. All the top M&A firms and investment banks are jumping on it. That's because there's no risk, just reward. Pretty cool, right? Check it out at anserada.com slash quote. You know I like a winning team, so say it with me. anserada.com for index winning outcomes. Welcome to The Pathfinders, the modern dealmaker series brought to you by Ansarada. Now, here's your host, Dahani Jones. Welcome back, everybody, to The Pathfinders, presented by Ansarada. I'm your host, former NFL player, investor, and entrepreneur, Dahani Jones. Joining me on the show today is managing partner of Next Play Capital, advisory board member at DocuSign, and founder of the Ryan Neese Foundation. Fellow NFL alumni, Ryan Neese. He's here to talk to us about seizing opportunities and what it means to be a leader and how to leverage success to give back to communities in need. Ryan, welcome to the show. I'm just, you know, it's exciting to see you because so many different times we're always, I feel like crisscrossing the United States, going to different places. It's kind of like you and that Tampa, Tampa 2. At the linebacker position, you know, flying all over the place. I mean, what what, what has it been like since your transition?
0: Yeah, no, honey, I appreciate you having me on, and man, I'm, I'm so proud of all the things you've accomplished over the years, and and it's a testament to the way you approach life. And you try to find ways to exhaust a moment, and try to find ways to scratch that itch of curiosity, and and you find yourself in, in interesting corners, and that's just unusual for a lot of athletes. But what it's allowed is for you and I to cross paths a number of times over the years. And so it's been awesome to watch you put yourself in positions that most athletes aren't in. And for me, it's inspiring because I think it's really important in my career to see individuals like you that approach life in that way and approach business that way and and find ways to build meaningful relationships. So I got, had to say that on the show because I'm sure like you, so many people approach me and go, Hey Ryan, you know, you're so rare. There's not a lot of other athletes that are out there doing things. And I start going off the, in the list of people that are doing great things after life, after football. And you're one of the first individuals. So easier said than done. As you know, the transition is tough for all of us. But one of the things that I did early on was try to find ways to build meaningful relationships with men and women that I respected, whether that was in philanthropy, whether that was in politics, whether that was in business. So, yeah, that was a longer winded way of answering
1: your question, but I had to give you some love and some kudos from, from the get. Hey, look, we're, we're two powerful inside linebackers that are able to kind of run <laughs> the field. And I think it's the same way. You're the inside guy. I'm the outside guy. I'm the skinny one that just ran fast, hey, man. You were just <laughs> just curious, you know, why do you think sometimes it's difficult for some people to transition? Is it the fact that it's difficult to you know, build relationships with people off the field? Is it because we kind of find ourselves in the same silos or in the same neighborhoods? Or is it uh, because maybe we just don't want to do things like that? Because, you know, for me, you mentioned curiosity. I'm a Montessori kid. I've only lived yeah. the curious lifestyle my entire life. Right. I, mean, I get in trouble for asking <laughs> questions. Sometimes I get kicked off the field because I ask too many questions. I mean, I actually got <laughs> you know, my my coach at the New York Giants, Tom Olivadotti, can, I never forget this. He told me I was only allowed to ask three questions. And so what I decided to do is ask one question, fill out the answer to all of my questions that I've now written down in this book, the book of questions. I <laughs> so, love it. So I wrote a book of questions. Then I had like 20 questions that I had outlined during the meeting. I just gave it to him. Say, hey, can you just answer these questions? Right? So, but why do you think people don't transition?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And I mean, as you know, and I know you've interacted with so many different athletes, not just in football, but in all sports, and they all face similar challenges. And I think some of those challenges is one, because you've been programmed from an early, early Point in your life to think about one thing and one thing only, and that's being the very best at your craft and at at the skills and at the sport that you're particular playing. And so when you put all that time and energy into one thing, it doesn't allow for you to start to explore other opportunities. And then all of a sudden the game, you don't really retire from the game or sport. The sport retires from you. Mm. And so when you walk away from it, all of a sudden now you're forced to be somebody that you're not familiar with, you're now in a position where you're trying to learn who you are and maybe even more importantly, what's going to give you the passion to wake up every single day. And that's, that. I don't care what industry you're in, change is very hard. And whether you went from being a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher and you had to go into a whole new field that you were unfamiliar with or a whole new arena that you weren't familiar with, that would be daunting for everybody. So that that just inherently the, the job itself puts you in a position to be able at a disadvantage when you transition. The second thing, most athletes aren't proactive the way that you were, right? Most athletes aren't asking question after question and aren't being told, hey, you're asking too many questions and aren't seeking out environments where they're uncomfortable. That's just not in the nature. Most athletes, people come to them, they, they bring you your equipment, they bring you your food, they bring you your schedule, and it's there in place for you to then optimize. It's very mm. rare that you have to go and seek out who should I spend time with? And and why should I spend time with them? And what do I need to learn to get better? And then I think one of the other things that's really hard to honey, depending on how long you play for, if you play for a long time in the league, you start to build up a certain bravado that you are the man or you are the woman, you are the elite, you are the alpha And this idea of going back to being a rookie becomes very foreign. Mm. And so most athletes go, you know what, I just want to be Dahani. I want to just go run my own podcast or run my own firm or run my own company. And they don't realize the time and energy and effort that you put in over the last decade after you were done playing to put yourself in a position to succeed. You went backwards to go forward. And so a lot of the athletes, I think, struggle with that. And then then finally, I mean, there's so many things, but You know, one of the things I've I've found over the years that a lot of athletes also struggle with, especially the ones that are capable of doing more than just their sport, they go, you know what, Dahani? you'd be great at insurance. You'd be great at wealth advisor. You'd be great in media. And they start telling you all these things that you could be great at. And you probably could. But what happens is it starts to become paralysis by analysis. You end up not planning your flag and you start to dabble and think about, should I try this? Should I try that? I don't want to lean in too much here because I may miss an opportunity over here and so you end up spending two or three years just kind of floating and never committing. I think the ones that commit and say I'm going to do this for 6 months, I'm going to do this for a year and then see if I like it, see if I want to move on are the ones that seem to have a better transition. But if you float for a while, it just delays the inevitable of uh, sooner or later you got to plant your flag and start to, you know, focus on what you want to accomplish and what you want to achieve. So Those are a few things.
1: Yeah. Lloyd Carr, um, great University of Michigan coach, always said, you know, at some point you have to plant your feet and say who you are and what you believe in. And I think it's the same thing that you're referring to when you kind of look at the world of of business. And that spin cycle is a very real thing. And it doesn't matter if you're where you are right now, Next Play Capital, or if you're where I am with with Key Capital, we've all spun, right? It's just a matter of how long you continue to spin for and that ego is a very real thing in order to be able to yeah and i wouldn't necessarily term it as going backwards to go forward and i don't think you were saying that i think it's more of how do you kind of take a step back learn right and then move forward and i think that's one of the most important uh, characteristics that a lot of players just sort of miss and it does reflect in the amount of time you've been in the league because if you've been in there for two two years you're like i never really got my feet off the ground but if you've been in there 20 years man, you can't tell me anything at all, (laughs) right? right? You can't tell me anything. I've been in the league. I've done this. I've played this game. I know exactly who I am and where where I want to be. And I'm going to be at the helm. And and, and the fact is, when you move into these future roles of leadership, it's important to learn from the very best, as I know you have, especially through your upbringing and also through the friends and family and the people in the community that you've built around you in order to, to arrive at the leadership role. So, I mean, as I think about some of the things that have prepared me for those leadership roles, you know, what specific things within the NFL have, do you think have put you there?
0: Well, yeah, I think it's three things. One, it's the ability to be around men obviously in the NFL that have achieved a certain level of success that few other individuals have achieved. And and what I mean by that being around the 1,500 men in the NFL, and, and, and I say that because it's a brotherhood beyond just your team, it's an unbelievable experience to be around these individuals because you get to see what it takes to be excellent. Mm-hmm. You start to learn the habits of what it takes to be successful at the very top of your game. You don't just wake up and all of a sudden roll out of bed and are able to be a Hall of Famer or a Super Bowl champion. There was a lot of time and dedication. I think about John Lynch, who just went into the Hall of Fame, the GM of the 49ers, the honey, this guy would be at practice before everybody. I remember coming in 6 a.m. The guy's been there for an hour stretching, going through a routine. Like he's, he's six years in the league. What's he doing spending an hour stretching? He'd be after practice and he'd spend an hour tackling a tackle dummy, just a dummy for an hour, <laughs> just practicing his tackle technique. I didn't understand it when I was, when I was younger, but I started to understand he was developing the discipline and the routine of pursuing excellence continuing to refine the small details over and over again to be the you know the player that he wanted to be so being in that environment it prepares you to start to look for those clues outside of football who are the other individuals in business and whether it's lawyers or doctors that approach their craft in a very similar fashion the second thing i think is is the huddle right the beauty of the huddle being in a huddle with individuals from all walks of life you went to Michigan, I went to UCLA. you come from a, a different family than I come from, but when we get in that huddle man we're we're brothers and we're now pursuing something bigger than self. We are now pursuing a goal and an initiative to go and achieve a, a a particular game plan that to me is 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 unifying and I think it was a privilege to be in a huddle with men from all walks of life that I probably would have never interacted with unless I had that opportunity to be in that huddle and I think in life as we've learned and You know, we we think about all the statistics that are out there, especially in our business, how important it is to have diverse perspectives Mm. at the table. Well, who's in your huddle now? Are they, everybody look the same? Does everybody come from the similar walks of life? The more diverse your huddle can be in in having perspectives that are people that are like-minded, pursuing something bigger than self, I think the better we all would be in making decisions. And then the third is this acceptance of learning how to absorb pain or be comfortable with pain. And what I mean by that, as an athlete, you know, and I can see your <laughs> face, you have to do the things you don't want to do to be the person or the player that you want to be. And oftentimes that comes with grueling regimens of, of training and routines and preparing your body and callusing your body to go and play at the highest level. And it seemed almost easy. We accepted it, but it was a mental mindset, a mental toughness to say, yeah, I I tore my PCL, but it's okay. I'll play. I'll find ways to commit. I'll find ways to navigate the waters. It's okay. I got to wake up at 5 a.m. and run until I almost are up or do this training until I bleed. We accept that because we knew the results and the benefit of that. I think often in life, man, we we come across a lot of people that it's easy for them to define success. These are the goals. These are the things that I want to achieve, but very few people can define their level of pain threshold or the things that they're willing to do to achieve that goal. And so for me, it was this willingness to to start to learn. And if I wanted to be this it was going to come at a price. And I had to figure out mentally how to do that and embrace that. And still today, there are things that I want to achieve and things that I want to do. And that comes with great sacrifice and this willingness to embrace pain.
1: Well said. And I I can't thank you more for laying it out like that, because I think a lot of people don't realize how much of a, a level of endurance it takes in order to build that callus and the amount of habits that you have to, continually reinforce in order to be able to even get to that level where you can have that success. You know, people are like, why are you waking up so early? Why are you staying, staying there so late? Well, it's the same way with, with weights. Why are you lifting so many weights? It's not just the weight. It's also the endurance that my hands must go through in order for me to continue to lift that weight. So that as my hands get stronger, my body gets stronger. As my body gets stronger, my mind gets stronger. So thank you for laying it out like that. And, you know, just speaking of success, you know, both on the field, you've had tremendous success, you know, off the field. And and one of the things that kicked you off was, was straight cast and, you know, and, you know, this authentic content and so many people used it and it was so before it's time. Right. And, you know, way you, before it, it's time it was way before it's time. And, and it got acquired by Fox sports Fox. So, you know, you know, what did you learn from that deal? How did you even Come up with that deal and and what did it take to actually get that deal done? yeah there's a lot in there um <laughs> I
0: think it's interesting because you know one of the things that I've also been driven and 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 I say it's it's really more selfish it's this idea of meeting needs for other people i I get more out of life when I'm finding ways to create solutions for others right that's why we have a foundation that's you know mantras the power of giving. The businesses that I've been involved with were ad- identifying a particular need and, and building around that, and and I say that because that's where Straight Cast came out of. You know, I was working at a family office. I was an investor and an analyst at this family office, the, the Bartolo family down in Tampa. Shout mm-hmm. out to the De Bartolo family for allowing me to come and be in the office and try to figure things out for a little while. And then a, a former teammate who you know, who was in business school, a guy named Jeb Terry called me up. He was graduating from business school. He said, man, I, I have this idea and I'd love for you to help me with this idea. And he told me about this vision of, of straight cast and, and we decided to co-found the business. And the business was very simple. How do we find ways to give athletes the ability to create authentic, real video content mm-hmm. in real time, and then send it to television in 15 seconds or across their social. And today we say that, and it sounds like, mean, hey, that's everywhere. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> But in 2010, that didn't exist. Video was still somewhat taboo, especially raw video, people recording from their phones. But we even today, it's really hard. If I say, hey, Dhani, send me a video, record a two minute video of you talking or working out and email, that file size is too big. It's mm. really clunky. It's hard to then get that file downloaded, upload it into television, blah, blah, blah so we created a platform that allowed individuals an application to record a video and after they press send it could be pulled up in the you know the back ends of fox espn and all these major media outlets and, and the reason we did it is because at that time if you remember so many guys were doing twitter and mm-hmm. people were getting in trouble for them, things they were writing late at night or you know remember you know coach edwards don't press send and partly because <laughs> you know, things would get misinterpreted. Guys were, it was a new form it was a new medium. How do you actually communicate? And then we also learned, you know, I was never a big star, but there was a lot of big stars that would have ghost writers writing on their behalf. So it wasn't really form true form of content. But if I could get to after a game in the locker room on the team bus or on the team plane, recording a video, and that's, that's, you know, content is king. That was content that very few people had in the world. And, and then, We also had the model, which actually didn't work out the best, where we would have the media companies pay for that content, and then we would trickle it back down to the player, right? Because Mm. you're the world's expert. And why should we do the interview after the game and then walk away? And all these media companies were monetizing that amazing content. So somehow, some way, we wanted to figure out how to pay the athlete. And that, that messes with your model a little bit when you start eating up you know eating up your margin that way but nevertheless we built it to a point where we had thousands of athletes creating content at all different times both espn and fox you name it media outlets both digitally and in traditional television were using that content and we got to a point where we'd, we'd raise some money we were not achieving the goals we wanted to to get to the next round of funding mm. full transparency and so we figured out, well, we got to figure out what's our exit here. How do we make sure the company can survive and go on? And we had a chance to position Fox and ESPN against each other. And, you know, we said to ESPN, Fox wants an exclusivity. And we said the Fox, ESPN wants the exclusivity. <laughs> and those two, like most things, hey, look, they don't, you know, they want one of the one to get the better of them. And so fortunately, Fox came to us and said, we want the whole thing. And um, they came to us and we ended up striking a deal with them and they ended up buying it. We had an earnout. Jeb went and spent two years in the earnout. I decided to leave and go start straight cast. And, and really, that's the story behind it. But it was humbling by far, brother. I would much rather run down the field on kickoff and hit 300 pound, hit the wedge, hit 300 pound lineman over and over than the early days in the startup. Because you're just I mean, you're literally drinking from a fire hose. You're the legal team, you're the marketing team, you're the accounting team, you're doing it all and with very limited experience or or resources. And so I have so much more empathy for the individuals and men and women go, I'm going to go do this and build this. And everybody goes, yeah, that's impossible because everybody told us it was impossible. And and somehow, some way they find ways to figure it out and make it become possible. And that's just a it's a beautiful thing.
1: But that's the entrepreneurial spirit. That's uh, correct. That's the the outside linebacker. That's the middle linebacker. That's being on the field and sometimes making it up. I mean, no matter how many times you <laughs> practice, right? No matter how many times your coach runs through with the, you know, with the scout team and they try to give you these looks, there's always a little wrinkle, right? And I always tell people that that wrinkle is where you really start to shine. That's really where you start to learn your most valuable lesson because you got to figure it out. And a lot of people don't have enough endurance. They don't have enough you know, habits that have been sort of instituted so that they can actually get to the point where their brain just goes out on its own. And you were able to do that in your exit, which I think is phenomenal. Would there be something you would have done differently with straight cast today versus from before?
0: Yeah, and it's kind of the advice I give to a lot of early on founders is one, I I would have created a, a stronger advisory board from the beginning hmm. Just like sports. And, and you didn't get there by yourself. You had unbelievable coaches that gave you the information that prepared you to put you in a position to say this is what you should do. And then to your point, the artist or the true athlete then takes that and goes, OK, I get that. I'm going to play it a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so having that individuals around you to give you that advice early on or the coaches or an advisory board, I think would have really helped us, especially individuals that are from from that arena. And then the other thing that I would have done is probably spent more time with founders because it's very lonely. And what I mean by that, Donnie, you you know is one of the things that's really hard for athletes is to ever ask for help mm-hmm. or ever say it's not going well or ever say I'm hurt. And that's ingrained in our mind. But as a founder, it's similar, right? It's hard to tell your investors or your board or your employees, hey, This burning down behind me right now. And this thing is going sideways and I don't know what to do and, and to really ask for help. And the only way to me to do that is probably find other individuals that understand when you say it's burning down, what it really means. And so spending a little bit more time with founders and other individuals that have walked that walk probably would have gave us some, some ease and probably wouldn't have allowed me to lose my hair so fast. (laughs) And, And so lowered the stress level and the anxiety we had as, as, as founders early on.
1: The Pathfinder podcast is presented to you by Onserrata. Onserrata is the modern deal and virtual data room technology designed to make M&A capital raising, divestments, restructures, and IPOs as simple as possible. Since 2005, Onserrata has been trusted in over 24,000 transactions and powered over $1 trillion worth of deals. AnswerRod is a secure space that includes workflow tools, AI-powered data rooms, built-in question-and-answer and integration frameworks. It's the data room trusted by modern dealmakers. You can start for free today at AnswerRod.com. You know I like a winning team, so say it with me. AnswerRod.com for your next winning outcome. So you, you start this company, you exit this company, and, and then you... Sort of migrate onto this amazing, you know, company in terms of Next Play Capital. How are you all, or how did you take sort of the lessons of Straightcast and evolve that into the world of uh, venture and in- investing? Yeah, because sometimes you know a lot of founders are like, I'll start one company, I'll go start another company. <laughs> you said, well, I'm gonna start one company. I got a couple other ideas, but you know, inevitably. I'm going to get a bunch of people around the table. I'm going to get a bunch of money around the table and I'm going to start doing deals that include some, maybe some of my ideas, but also other people's ideas. But how are you doing it differently? Because there's a lot of VC firms that are out there that have their perspective. They have their own thesis. What's Ryan Neese's thesis with Next Play Capital?
0: Yeah. And again, it started with a need, right? There were so many players that would come to me and just like, whether it's, you know, you know, a dentist or a mechanic or a doctor, people kind of gravitate towards individuals that they think are in a particular field. And they go, hey, I have this idea that I'm working on or I'm investing in this company. And so many people, especially athletes would come to me, hey, niece, you're in tech. Will you look at this opportunity? What do you think about this? I'm going to invest in this. I'm putting a lot of money. And man, it was frustrating to see a lot of men and women put money into things that had low probability of success. Mm. And the thing about venture is, people don't realize 90 plus percent of all the returns come from 5% of the venture funds. It is a small concentration of managers that find ways to invest in the men and women that are really creating these transformational companies. And, And those VC firms, the first round, Union Squares, Excels, Greylocks, Andreessen's, Sequoia's benchmarks of the world, they don't need people's capital. They are turning away hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of people begging them to give them money because they generate these amazing returns. And so I always felt that if we could find ways to get access to those managers and give our community of athletes and influencers and other individuals the ability to invest like an institution, with the best firms that would help solve this need mm. of scratching this itch and giving our community to put dollars to work and venture and, and back some of the most amazing companies. And so that was the premise and how do we give our investors the ability to have a seat at the table and and then at times if we could maybe invest alongside these world class managers into some transformational businesses and get get a piece of those companies as well. And so and it's it's been an amazing Journey, we're crossed over 400 million under management. We've invested in 25 other venture funds. We've invested in 40 companies. We had six IPOs this year. We're investors in companies like Impossible Food, Byte Dance, which is TikTok, UiPath, Hims and Hers, and a bunch of other Guild Education, a bunch of other amazing companies. But Dahani, the thing that I'm proud of, man, 75% of our investors are minority, 60% are Black. In a community that has historically not had the ability to get access to alternatives let alone true venture and the best funds creating this community of investors and, and being able to be a good steward of their capital and man that that drives me and wakes me up every single day of how do we continue to be um, be this conduit so that we can have more diverse perspectives and more individuals that represent what America really looks like in these rooms spending mm. time putting dollars to work in Man, that, that, that excites me, and we're going to continue to build from there. You know, on top of it, we also spend a lot of time with education, right? We have a fellowship program that we educate athletes. It's a two week program. We had 100 athletes apply this year. We have our Bridge Summit, our Iron Sharpens Iron Summit. It's not just giving capital, but again, this idea where it comes from being around men like you and others, this idea of curiosity. How can we hope? How can we make sure we're equipping you and, and everybody else? with information that empowers them to go and be better decisions and better investors far beyond our own walls. So all those things, we spent a lot of time proud of what our team's accomplished and, and um, still a lot to a lot, a lot of work to do ahead.
1: So a lot of work ahead and also a lot of money on the table that you get to manage and also you get to place. And it's all about those returns and you've done a phenomenal job. And the one thing I think about that you just pointed out is, you know, Diversity and inclusion. I mean, I think it's. I think it's important. It's. It's the landscape of, of the future. Twenty forty. You know, Tristan Walker talked about it through his code. Twenty forty. Back in the day, yep. when you know he was laying that out in terms of like the diversification of America. It, it is right here. It is front and center. And you're doing that next play capital. But you know, how do you think about that as it impacts the future of investing and the future of industries of tomorrow?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's two things that I, I also come back to. And it, again, you think about what Dr. Martin Luther King would tell us, right? It's not just about the color of your skin. It's about the mm. content and the, and the character of an individual, right? And so I, it's amazing that we now have all this emphasis around investing in or, or bringing on more men and women of color and more minorities. I think it's extremely important. We need to have those initiatives. They've been around for a while, Um, but we're continuing to embrace that more. But if we're, if we don't also focus on the quality of the individual and who they are and their character and are able to find men and women that are just amazing individuals and really talented, oh, that happen to be black or happen to be Hispanic, then we're, we're, I think we're all doing ourselves a disservice and that's short term thinking. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I'm constantly championing when I talk to folks in our industry and peers that go, Ryan, I'm trying to approach this. I'm trying to be a solution. I'm trying to be helpful well, and make sure you're, whatever it is that you're creating, whatever initiative that you have, that you take that into consideration. The other thing is endurance, Dahani. I mean, you know this at the beginning of every year, all of us have these new year's resolutions and, and have these deep convictions of how we're going to live our life better and be healthier and be more fit, blah, blah, blah. And statistically, like 75%, if not higher, of individuals abandon all those (laughs) resolutions and convictions in the first two I read that
1: same article.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so how the heck do we think that all of a sudden people are going to have the same convictions and have the same ability to have the endurance that's needed to stick with this idea that I'm going to be different? I'm going to try to find ways to help other individuals that aren't even themselves. And so... Having the endurance and putting in initiatives and programs that aren't just temporary, but a, that have a mindset of what does it look like in ten years, and let's build backwards from there. And so that takes a more methodical and strategic approach around it. But those are the things that we spend time talking about. and quite frankly, the other thing is, it's celebrating the men and women that are putting points in the board. People, re- I think people remember Jackie Robinson one because he happened to be the first hmm. black baseball player, but the dude was a phenomenal Mm. athlete. And granted, he was a Bruin. Now there's a reason for that, but the guy stole more bases. He was the fastest guy. He hit better balls. He wasn't seeing the best pitches. He wasn't getting the best calls, but he outperformed everybody around him. And that's one of the reasons why they go, well, shoot, we need more of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We need more of that. And and if we can start to celebrate individuals that are achieving levels of success, people are going to go, I want more of that. Because at the end of the day, people are going to still be motivated by you know, that almighty dollar, mm-hmm. right? And so, we have to make sure we continue to champion the men and women that are out there putting points on the board, that are taking initiatives, that are that are doing the, the, the things that are needed to be difference makers. And so, I think about all the guys like Elliot Robinson and Michael Seibel and, and Richard Kirby and the laundry list of folks that I know you know in, in, in our community and the venture community that are putting points on the board, the Tristan Walkers and All of them. There's, you know, great people, men men out there and and women as well that are doing some phenomenal things that I'm excited to to celebrate.
1: Yeah. And it's awesome that we all know the same people, but it's also challenging because we can list them off. Right. (laughs) I'm sitting here thinking, oh, man, Ryan's going to give me a name I've never known before. And I know everybody's (laughs) name that you're talking about but we keep celebrating the content of those people's character because they therefore reinforce that greatness that is found in so many of us. And, and I just want to say, congratulations. And, um, you know, working with DocuSign, I didn't even, I didn't even know you, you were working with them. I mean, how did you, how did you get that role? Yeah. It's a, a that's, a, that's a big deal. I mean, so many people I'm, I'm using DocuSign 10, you know, 10 times a day. You know, there's
0: a, a gentleman named Michael Ariata, and Michael uh, was chief of staff for the CEO and that I became friends with. And he said, hey, we put together this small advisory board for DocuSign right before they were going public. We'd love for you to be on it. And Michael, it was uh, one of these individuals, super talented, high, high IQ and EQ, a Christian believer And and just a really phenomenal human being. And now Michael actually is running a um, a firm down in Atlanta called Garden City, which is a a private equity shop. But Michael is the one that introduced me to the to the DocuSign team, and 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 I'm just an advisor on the advisory board. And there's a few of us that are out there, and it's a it's a special group. And again, it's it's our role and responsibility, really, more to be an ambassador Mm. to the company and an ambassador for the things that they're trying to do and and the way that they're trying to approach really changing the game on how we're signing contractual agreements in all industries, right? I mean, there's not a, a moment in time, I feel like, that I'm not signing something digitally now. And the amazing part of DocuSign behind all of that. And then internally too, how do we actually be supportive of of what the company looks like on the inside? And so those are some of the things that we're used to, to powwow about and have conversations and provide input and support to the executive team and to the, um, the broader DocuSign community. So, yeah, I mean, you know this. It's about again trying to get in the huddles with talented people. Um, it's, uh, I always find like find that I'm in a position where I have imposter syndrome often, and uh, not sure that I'm worthy to be there. But hopefully, I can provide a perspective that's unique and find ways to feel uncomfortable. And and in those rooms, I always feel like I I'm the one that's getting way more back than whatever it is that I'm given.
1: But that's okay. That's where you're supposed to be. And sometimes that yeah. uncomfortable feeling is providing a lesson that therefore at a later date makes you more comfortable, but also makes you comfortable to tell somebody what they need to do while they're uncomfortable. Right. And that's that huddle. That's that experience when you're sitting there and you're next to, you know, a second year player and you've been in the league for a little bit of time, you gotta, you gotta counsel that young buck. You gotta be able to give them that advice. Right. And so, you know, While you're doing that in the world of business, you also kind of take things to the next level with your Ryan Neese Foundation. So, you know, how's that been in its development? How's that sort of affected, you know, the the community? And what are you excited about um, when it comes to your foundation?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think the foundation's now celebrating year 15, which means I'm just getting older in the work that we're doing is, um, exciting because it comes back to this idea. I don't know what, you know, when you f- went into the league, one of the things that I found, it's also really lonely as a rookie. You don't, you know, you think you hang out with people always like, Oh, you hang out with all your teammates all the time. Not really. They have families and kids and others. There's a small group of the rookies that maybe hang out with one another, but they're long days. It's a foreign world. You don't know the city. You don't know where to eat or where to hang out, blah, blah, blah. And so one of the things I did early on to get acclimated to the city was I started volunteering Started working at nonprofits and churches and different community the community service department with the bucks mm. would wear me out. I would just volunteer. Hey, send me wherever you need me. And and then I became a person that was in the city. I became a community member. I became a, a citizen of, the, of, the, of Tampa Bay. And because I started to hang out with the people and I started to fall in love with that. Through that, I realized mm. that man, there's all these amazing organizations. They're doing phenomenal work to try to cure cancer, eradicate homelessness, find ways to solve some of the biggest issues that a lot of people in our cities are, are faced with. There's no reason why I should try to recreate another organization that's doing the same work that all these other great ones are doing. But what I did find was so many young minds were being indoctrinated with this idea of how to take care of self. Mm. And, and if you think about just some commercials, you know, like obey your thirst or have it your way, or it's all about really self. And so I realized for me, if we could find ways to start teaching these young minds, how to start thinking about others, that those are the individuals that are going to give more money to these great organizations that are going to sit on the boards that are going to be more productive citizens in society and help all these other nonprofits. And so anyways, I, I wrote a curriculum. That teaches high school juniors and seniors the principles of the power of giving. And so that's what our foundation does. It takes high school juniors and seniors through a two-year program where they learn these fundamentals on how to think about others. And we start with one question in the program, and then we end with the same question: "When's the last time you asked a family member, or a family member or a friend, "How can I help you?" And if you can find ways to do that consistently in all areas of your life, you're probably going to start to embrace the power of giving, but you're indeed going to make your city, your community, your state, your country better. And so that's a, that's what we do with the organization. And again, it's 15 years and finding ways to continue to move the ball forward. As you know, raising a dollar for non-profit is probably the hardest dollar to raise because what you're giving back is a pat on the back and a big thank you. But man, I'm, I'm so proud of the students that have gone through our program now. And again, it makes me feel old because there's so many of them now that are Shoot, they're out of college. They're working. They're giving back. They're they're active community members in, in all over the country now,
1: which is awesome to see. Well, I uh, I applaud all of that and all the efforts. You know, because I I think playing on the field, metaphorically speaking, you have eleven guys. But your point is, it needs to be eleven guys, and you add females. You you diversify the the huddle itself things start to change you know the people in the stands and the stadium and the ownership you know you can metaphorically use the world of football and all of the colors on the palette and the people in the stadium as this beautiful opportunity to to open up people's minds and giving and thinking about others before you think about yourself is one of the most important ingredients that we all must have in order to be able to work together. So I, I appreciate um, what you've done, what you will continue to do. Last question, uh, and, I, and we love this one: Which is your favorite celebration of a winning deal? I mean, you know, we, you know, you, you got all these things that are happening. You, you're closing all these deals. You got all these IPOs, and, and you, you know, you celebrate, right? Because no matter how much money you raise, no matter how many deals you close, you got to have that good time, right, in order to be able to say thank you and and look. You want that pat on your back? You don't want just, just the pat on the back, just sitting at home. So where do you go to celebrate some of your winning, your winning deals?
0: Man, you're absolutely right. Happiness is only real when shared, right? And so in those moments, you got to share it. And, and so in San Fran, Kakari is, man, is, is my go-to. It's a Mediterranean's downtown San Fran. That restaurant's phenomenal. And so we'll try to celebrate there as a team. If I'm in New York, it's Carbone, Woo! which is phenomenal. And in Tampa, when we do things, obviously with the foundation, there's a gentleman named Jeff Hagante. He's got a, a couple restaurants. So uh, Jeff and, and his restaurant, his crew we uh, will hit up any of those restaurants because the food's great. And um, all of those uh, individuals that come together in all those different spots, man, it's a lot of fun. So I got, I had to throw three of you. I don't <laughs> know if anybody's done that, but I had to try to step it up three different
1: cities for you. Look, you, you step it up and I want to be able to, to celebrate with you. So I can't wait to, to go to your events. I can't wait to spend more time. I can't wait to learn. I can't wait to be in uncomfortable situations as we both continue to learn and most importantly, give back and expand that huddle. So I just wanna say thank you again to you, Ryan, for joining us on the show today and showing us how authenticity, like it's it's courage can help forge a better path for not only yourself, but your community, as you say, as well. Please remember to leave a review and to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Donnie Jones, and this has been The Pathfinders presented by Anserrado. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you.